0: So find simple ways to boost your true wealth.
1: Welcome to the show. This is Crystal Arnold, your hostess of Money Wise Women and founder of Money Morphosis. So in the decade plus that I've been uh, studying money, I've found it so fascinating how differently people behave with their money. And uh, people's different attitudes towards spending and saving and giving their different uh, attitudes towards investing. And people are so fascinating in, in this relationship to money because it's something so very intimate. Each one of us has some relationship to it because we need it in this world to interact with others, to have our needs met. Um, We find value in the work that we do uh, through financial uh, compensation. And so I, you know, I've studied a lot about different money, uh, money archetypes and different people's perspectives on it. And uh, our guest today, Dr. Margaret Smith, her book, Um, money from fear to love, using the Enneagram to create wealth, prosperity, and love, had the most accurate description of my own financial behavior that I'd ever found. And uh, so that's why I invited her on the show. I was just blown away by reading uh, through, through this book and how she came to find these themes and different ways that people act and, and how incredibly specific uh, it was to each person, um, uh, we each, each Enneagram type and then our subtype. And so she'll go a little bit more into what that all means. But um, yeah, I was just, just really moved by, by the accuracy and insights that she has into human behavior with money. So, Margaret Smith holds a PhD in business economics from Harvard University, and she is the CEO of Prosperity Sherpa. She is a certified financial planner, certified integral coach, and certified Enneagram trainer. So, as an author and consultant, she works with individuals and small businesses to help them become more prosperous and financially sustainable. She also leads three- and five-day workshops on the nine money styles, prosperity in the Enneagram, and the nine design principles in the U.S., China, and Europe. So, like I said, there are many money personality books out there, and Margaret's book money from fear to love is the first one to really connect the Enneagram personality system to the money styles. And as I said, she uh, gives such accurate and lucid descriptions of different personalities and how they behave differently with money. So fascinating. So uh, welcome, Margaret. I would love to begin by hearing from you what you find most exciting about the work that you do.
2: Thanks, Crystal. Um, I really wanna echo what you said about people being so fascinating because I think that's really what I find sort of most fulfilling about working with people around their relationship to money. Um, They are just so different in so many funny ways. Um, but also kind of in, uh, you know, deeply moving in different ways. So I just really get a lot of fulfillment from helping them see themselves more clearly and kind of unlocking some things that have them stuck.
1: Mm-hmm yeah yeah i've uh, I see too um, that 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 is so fulfilling as people shift their inner beliefs, behaviors um, about money that then their external world um, starts to change. And you said something really fascinating in your book. You say uh, that money is a mirror, and I'm so curious what you mean by that?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool because, um, well, I've also been reading some parenting books as I have four kids, but just like um, kind of how we're doing with our kids can be a mirror for our sort of, you know, what's going on for ourselves inside as adults. I think money can also be a mirror for what's going inside ourselves, what's going on inside ourselves. And it helps to, if we're willing to let us show us, um, it can help us to see where we're locked down with, things like fear and scarcity thinking and uh, through that kind of give us the chance for freedom
1: right freedom and and uh, I've, I've found through understanding myself better through reading your book and just greater clarity and ease and acceptance of my own unique personalities, how to better communicate with my husband and understand his different personality type. And so I find like through self-awareness, there is uh, so much more ease uh, and, and the stress kind of melts away. Yeah. Yeah. I think,
2: I know it sounds kind of funny to be like, wow, it gives you freedom, but yeah, I think it gives you, once you start to understand where you're coming from and what's driving you, um, it kind of allows us to sort of step away from it a little bit or get some distance to give us ourselves that ease, like you're talking about. Mm -hmm.
1: And, and it's a very different um, association with money than traditionally many people. Their self-worth is all caught up in their bank account and they really identify their own personal success with, with how much money they have. And, and so I've heard so much suffering and, and disappointment from people with that kind of association of their value with their uh, financial standing. Um, do you agree?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a actually a great idea to bring up in this context because that's actually one opportunity that money is giving us to kind of allow it to reflect back to us something kind of deeper that's going on that if we have to sort of derive our value from something external like money, then sort of what is that showing us about maybe, you know, what's going on inside ourselves with regards to self-esteem or a sense of you know, true value or intrinsic value, self-respect. So it's really an opportunity. Um, I'd like to give you a couple other examples of how money really can be a mirror for us. Um, as a financial planner, I've noticed that, you know, I sometimes, I used to, want to jump in and sort of start with point one and move on to point two. And point one often was just sort of like, can I see your budget? Or can I see you know, how much you spend or can you show me some of the numbers? And I discovered that people like really, really don't like doing budgeting or most people seem to not like it. And uh, we can ask ourselves, well, what is that reflecting back to us, that, that sort of disdain of budgeting? And there's a lot of things it could possibly be reflecting back to us. And we'd have to, you know, use our own discernment to understand for ourselves what it's reflecting back. But it might be that we don't like constraints. We don't want to be tied down. It could be reflecting back to us that we couldn't be bothered with these trivial details of budgets. It could be reflecting back to us that we're ashamed about something in the budget and the information. It could be reflecting back to us that we actually don't really like being clear about this kind of information, or that uh, maybe we're just too lazy to deal with those kind of things. I don't know. So it's just kind of an interesting concept that money can kind of show us a lot.
1: Mm. Oh, so true. That's so true. Um, was there
2: another example that you'd like to give? Um, well, this is another topic that a lot of people, clients that come to me, struggle with. It's just, you know, they're not earning as much as they ought. They feel they ought to be earning. And again, that um, that's really an opportunity to allow money to reflect back to us something, and to kind of use that as as fuel as Uh, input, information, and maybe some kind of, you know, deeper insight into ourselves. But possibly the reason we're not earning as much as we hope we could be earning is that it's reflecting that we're undervaluing ourselves. We're not uh, feeling comfortable with promoting our value or that we're actually not doing things that other people are valuing and being willing to pay for or that we're scared to put ourselves out there or that we don't want to ask for help or that we just simply don't like working hard. So there's a lot of, again, interesting things that it could be reflecting to us. But again, it's all opportunity to just learn more and see what we want to do with that information.
1: Hmm. I, I hear it like that parallel with health and the way that the symptom of not earning enough or you know uh, these these external symptoms ha- may have different root causes and how important it is to really reflect deeply and not just give a blanket assessment of people. God,
2: I love that. Yeah, I love that. I love what you're just saying about that. It's it's like you're looking at the symptoms exactly like Mm. the the outer manifestation of money and what's going on with it is really just a symptom exactly and and this thing of money as a mirror it really is just the beginning it's the beginning of us starting to look deeper within ourselves so that we have an opportunity to develop the kind of relationship that we really want to with money
1: Mm, yes Yes, and there's so little financial education in this country. It's just incredible that people don't learn the basic uh, skills earlier on. I got through my whole degree in international economics, my undergrad degree, uh, with no personal finance courses and still had no idea how to budget my money until I took (laughs) a a bookkeeping course. And there's so much shame, consequently, uh, that, that keeps people from learning these basic
2: skills. I totally agree.
1: I'm curious about your experience, actually, if you could tell us a little bit about your journey through getting your PhD in business economics at Harvard University and how, if there was curriculum around the behavioral economics, the psychology of it, and all those things that your work now speaks to.
2: Um, Well, if you're asking whether I learned any financial, uh, personal financial information when I was doing my economics degree as an undergraduate or in graduate school, the answer is definitely no. Um, but I've always been interested as a, I, I, I kind of uh, cite my root cause as being a daughter of immigrants into this country. And, um, you know, our lives weren't super easy, it wasn't like super comfortable. So it kind of had a lit a fire in my in my belly to, to sort of be successful financially. Um, So I've always really been fascinated by what it means and takes to be financially prosperous. And at the, in the beginning, I guess I would say I had a pretty traditional understanding of what it means to be successful. And, um, I really did kind of buy into conventional thinking around, you know, just lots of money, like you were talking about, right. Income, net worth, stuff like that. But as I started to, um, kind of look into these questions myself a little more deeply, I realized that if you kind of just by the conventional s- definition of success, it's going to pretty much be a good recipe for being unhappy, like you were saying in the beginning. So by broadening the definition of s- financial success to what I call true prosperity, which encompasses, you know, your own self worth and your own f- physical health and your own sense of well-being and your own relationship, your relationships to other people and, you know, broadening that definition of prosperity out like that. I think that's where you start to find some hope. Mm. So that's all gotten me, you know, that all got me really interested in self-awareness and personal development and how you, how you kind of link the two. And I guess that's what this journey has really brought me to is a sense that um Financial prosperity and personal development are integra- integrally linked, which is kind of an odd thing to say, I suppose. but the more we understand about ourselves and what makes ourselves tick and what brings fulfillment and satisfaction and joy, I think the more financial prosperity really opens to us mm.
1: yes and and how crucial these Conversations and transformations are uh, to reevaluate what really matters as a human species and what kind of culture do we want to live in and how do we define prosperity beyond the financial. definition of it. Uh, it's, it's a funny parallel with my work. I've developed a true wealth template when I was a stay-at-home mom for about five years with my young kids. I started to say, well, I'm not earning any money, but w- I still feel wealthy. What else mm. is there? And so yeah. it has four aspects, including financial, but also inner wealth relational and environmental and yeah. i've found it so helpful to to give people that more holistic sense of working with their assets and liabilities in each category it takes some of the pressure off money being the only measure of wealth and prosperity and success
2: i completely echo what you're saying and yeah that's i think i think when most of us start looking at that question we kind of arrive at a similar conclusion, right? Because by putting so much emphasis or only the emphasis and focus on money, it kind of destroys lives. I mean, I i think a great example would just be looking at the banking industry that so many young children, you know, college graduates want to enter. Um, you know, like, um, you know, they'll work 80, they'll be asked to work 80, 90 hours a, a week and then as they even start having relationships and getting married, like half or more end up in divorce because, you know, all the focus is on the career and on the, on the making money part. And it's just kind of sad. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that, that younger generation is is also looking at how to align their values with their money more and, and not really buy into the system, you know, exactly. both things are happening. Um, So I'm curious, you know, why why did you write this book on the Enneagram and money styles and tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Um, I guess I just, when I when I was trained as a financial planner, uh, probably 20 years ago or so, there was certainly nothing in the curriculum around understanding that different people had different kinds of thinking about money, you know, you're just mainly taught to go through the, the checklist of budgeting and saving, investing, tax planning, estate planning. But it's really obviously when it comes to working with people around money, it's a lot more emotional than that. And so I kind of realized I didn't understand people so well. Like I understand what I thought about how things should be done, but I didn't really get my clients, to be honest. And so I guess I realized I needed some help um and so i was kind of searching around and discovered the enneagram and i was like you know this this feels really right just at a uh, at, at an intuitive level with respect to personality so i was like you know but i'd be really curious what does that does that have anything to do with like could that illuminate anything about like how people are different around money and when i mentioned the idea to other enneagram fans. They were like, yeah, you really should do that. You really should look into that. And I was like, you know, I think I might. So I started interviewing people and formally more, more in a structured manner. And I did about 20, got about 20 types, um, 20 people per type and started to just kind of look through the the research and see what came out. And um, that's, that's what I wrote about in my book. So yeah, it was pretty interesting, but actually that was so fascinating
1: to me is that
2: interview process reading
1: about that at the end of the book and how you came to to really so specifically and clearly uh, describe each of the types that's just fascinating
2: yeah it was kind of crazy to me as well but i know this is going to sound even crazier maybe but that wasn't even really the biggest insight i think i developed as i was doing that research so of course, it's super, super cool to be able to say, OK, well, type ones generally speaking are, are very similar in this respect and type fives are like this. And of course, that's super cool because it, it does feel very, very accurate. But what I think the bigger takeaway for me was was this idea of the nine domains, which is that the Enneagram can be used as a map for understanding what a healthy relationship to money actually should look like. That was like crazy. So I call that prosperity architecture, but it's like a map of like how each of the nine types like is giving us a little clue into what we have to really pay attention to. And of course, since we're not that type, we kind of end up not really liking it or almost hating it or really resisting it. Like type ones kind of are, you could say the queens and kings of budgeting. In in a way, I mean, not that every all type ones love budgeting, but it's something they kind of can represent around that sense of order and clarity and just kind of knowing what's here, what's not here and having that kind of discipline around budgeting. Uh, The other types, not so much. So, so I just thought that was like the craziest and coolest thing that emerged from this research.
1: Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's a really new contribution to, to the field. Um, and of, of people who are studying the immigrant Enneagram that was really unique is to bring the domains uh, forth. Could you tell us what those nine domains of money are? Um,
2: yeah, I'd love to. It's starting, you know, I, I've, I've done this, I did this research a while ago. So as time has passed, I've gotten a more, I guess, robust sense of these domains. But um, initially, the way I labeled them was that domain one, um, they're, they kind of stand for things that we know about. Like domain one is budgeting, domain two is spending. Now, type twos are giving types, and it's related to spending in the sense of not needing to know what your needs are, right? So there's a correlation between the styles and the domains and what the domains mean and stand for. Um, type Domain three is earning, and it kind of matches with the type 3s that They're all about um, earning and achieving or striving for expressing their value. Um, domain four is around like money, like the meaning of money. And domi- domain five is around understanding aspects of money. So do you want me to keep going? But um Just, sure yeah d- i think they're different areas you know domain six is around risk management like how you can be like ensure security domain seven is around vision and planning like for the future anticipating sort of what could be better um and domain eight is around wealth building and domain nine is around flow what i call flow now so balance ease
1: mm. Nice, excellent um, yeah it's uh so listeners who may or may not be familiar with the Enneagram, there are these nine types, and you can take online quizzes to to kind of determine what your dominant type is, and then um, each each type also has certain strengths and and blind spots and um, any, I mean, there's so much depth you could explain, so not knowing where people are at uh, listening to this, um, is, is there anything else you'd like to say about kind of the power of using the Enneagram for personal growth?
2: Um, well, I think it really is the entry point, right? It's just it's, it sort of opens up this whole new world of things to consider. Um, so I would say the first thing is, to, to, yeah, like learn about yourself and particularly like what you're really good at, you know, what you really bring to the table with regards to um, a healthy relationship to money. What what it is your, mon- your particular money style is like, like how it's sort of a, a guidepost for others. And then to also become more aware of like things you're blind to, things that kind of could be hurting you. Um, and then from there, just really trying to develop and cultivate more balance um, in these different nine domains. Because, for example, like the type threes are kind of specialists in the area of earning money because they're, they're really good at promote. You know, they're they're hard workers. They like working hard. They kind of like striving for goals and achieving those goals. And um, they often are pretty strong earners, but they have weaknesses. So. Um, you know, they often aren't really thinking about long-term so much. They're not necessarily big picture so much. Um, sometimes they can just be really good at earning money and spending money, not thinking so much around investing in long-term things. I mean, this isn't for every type three, but it's kind of a pattern that they tend to display. So again, it it can really start to illuminate just what's going on so that we have a choice.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Can you also tell us about the three subtypes, what those are and why those are significant? Um
2: yeah, I I I think we could certainly argue, make a make an argument that the three instincts, uh the three instincts being self-preservation, a social instinct and a sexual instinct, that that they could arguably have a stronger impact on our relationship to money than the than the money than the nine styles. So uh, at the very least, they're 50-50. So yeah, I'd do, would you like to me to just kind of generally describe them? or Sure, sure. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, like so the self-preservation types, people who have a dominant instinct with self-preservation, they tend to be um, more oriented and interested in security and having kind of predictability in their life and being planful. And having a more sort of linear way of thinking about how things should proceed so they would be the types who'd be more interested in like saving money and like how much the bill was if you were out with a big group and making sure that everyone divided it equally and uh um you know concerned about negotiating for a slightly higher pay than what they were offered like they just they have a they have a little more consciousness around sort of the value of money and uh, being a little bit more prudent or thrifty with it. Uh, they don't mind taking the time to monitor money or think about it or check in with it or take the time to learn about investing because there's an intrinsic sense of the value that money as one of the resources in, you know, in a wealth of resources, but physical resources that, that matter. So they, they have a certain degree of respect for money I,
1: I have noticed how how significant the different instincts um are to mm-hmm. to understanding uh people and interactions and what nourishes us and and feeds us and uh
2: totally. yeah well i mean it's just like for example for me i am a self-preservation dominant type it probably explains my great curiosity and interest in money Um, but you know when you're going to eat at a restaurant with a big group of friends uh, I would always find it puzzling that people wouldn't be a little more concerned about like the bill and how much it was going to be split to right and uh, the social instinct types I would say would kind of generalize to say they might um, they might be socially aware of sort of the concern that people that different types might have around money but there's more of a feeling of like, hey, you know, we're all together and we're just one group. So it's just, you know, even if someone had a drink and appetizers and someone else didn't, it's just like, let's just split it, you know, like evenly. It's because it's more of like a, this impulse to just really be in the same boat together. And it's sort of this feeling of when when the like all boats rise together and fall together. So we're like all we're all together. So that's that social instinct of um having more what I would call circular energy or navigational energy. There's a sort of focus of attention around, you know, status and uh, you know, how people you know, power and where people are coming from and getting along. There's just, just a very, very different energy than self-pres. self-preservation is much more like I want to make sure I'm okay. And my family's okay. And my kids are okay. Then I'll worry about you. Whereas the social instinct sort of instinctively worries about the group, where the group's coming from, and are people in the group getting along, or, you know, who's in, who's out. So it's just really interesting. And as as it res- relates to money, people who are social dominant can be extremely successful because of their networking, right? They're always, they know a lot of people. They can call on different social resources sort of at any time, it seems like. It almost seems magical to someone with a self-president instinct. It's like, well, how do you know so many people? You, could, you have like this gigantic Rolodex or the equivalent of a Rolodex. And, um, But they can also have blind spots around just like never really monitoring or caring about money so much. So it just depends on where people are at. Um, and then the sexual instinct is this, I mean, it sounds a little bit scary maybe if you say sexual, but it's just the, um, it's like your mojo. It's like your your charisma. It's like your your energy to attract and uh just kind of like be really resilient like people off people with a sexual dominant instinct often talk about having episodes in their life or periods where like they're really intense with someone or some passion or activity for a while and they kind of fade you know might die down and then they get really focused on something else really intensely and so they just kind of move from episode and episodic Mm -hmm. ups and downs Hmm. And, and they can have great strengths too around money like they can just manifest like so quickly, you know, they have that like really charismatic, like intense energy and they can focus all that on like a startup and stuff like that. But often they can also find that what they get into can be unsustainable because that sexual energy is often not like the energy that really sustains us over long runs. It's sort of that short burst of energy. So if they have a blind spot in self-preservation, they're going to notice that they kind of burn themselves out a lot.
1: Love it! Oh, that's so helpful to hear different different examples yeah. and descriptions when people are at a party or splitting up the check. Or totally. The yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, thinking through. I'm I'm sure you can probably type people pretty accurately just
2: from a short conversation, right? I try not to do that. I mean,
1: right.
0: really, it's
2: up to, you know, up to that person to want to look at that, uh, their situation carefully themselves, but I can help guide.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's
2: good. Those boundaries and the
1: respect for, for someone's, uh, privacy, um, mm-hmm wow uh let's take a quick break here and when we come back uh i'd love to hear more about how you work with people and um and why you named your uh, business prosperity sherpa um just really love that name
0: and uh so we'll be back in about a minute does managing your money feel like a constant battle for you as a financial therapist and money coach, I help people unpack unconscious behaviors and begin the healing of trauma around our personal money stories. Together, we create powerful systems to manage your cash flow so that your money can support you fully. I basically become your personal money ally. For a free 15-minute consult, email me at brenda at BrendaSaintlouis.com. Check out my website at brendastlouis.com. I look forward to meeting you.
3: Ready to enjoy greater financial freedom? Perhaps you're like Emily, a creative entrepreneur who wants to increase her income to provide for her family. Using the free video training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com, she learned the secrets to accessing hidden resources and creating lasting wealth. Emily learned a persuasive negotiation technique to bring in more money with her top clients. She boosted her credit score and opened new financial doors while reducing expenses. And she took specific steps to strengthen her existing relationships and create a safety net for her business. With the Discover Your True Wealth training, thousands of women have improved their bank balances and secured their family's future. With this free video course, you'll transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. Take charge of your financial situation with the training sound at DiscoverYourTrueWealth.com. Welcome
1: welcome back. We are here with uh, Dr. Margaret Smith um, and just hearing more about the. M- uh, Enneagram and our relationship with money and how to create greater health and satisfaction in our financial lives through deep reflection and understanding our personality type and and how to better connect with um, those we love and work with through understanding our differences and similarities and I have just found it so helpful to uh, to read through your book um, called Money from Fear to Love and really recommend that for people. Um, I'm fascinated to hear about uh, you've named your business Prosperity Sherpa and people can find that at www.prosperitysherpa.com. So I'm curious uh, the intention behind that business and why you named it that.
2: Well, I... I really like the word "prosperity" and being Chinese. Uh, the idea of prosperity is kind of salient in, in our culture, the idea of um, just sort of holistic well-being, like you were talking about earlier. And I, um, in my new book, I, make, I really make a big distinction between sort of false prosperity and true prosperity, I think that distinction's really really like a good starting point for a conversation around what are we trying to do in our life trying to do with our life so i like that word and then sherpa i just kind of i like it because it's kind of like a sherpa you know who that helps you up the mountain and it's when trekkers are going up a mountain like in nepal it's it's not easy um, but with the help of a sherpa you can generally do it and so a sherpa's kind of done it over over and over again the say that path so they can be trusted to help you and guide you. So I kind of like that metaphor. (laughs)
1: Mm. Oh, I love that. Um, When you say your new book, is that a different one?
2: Yeah, I'm writing about um, like the nine step prosperity process. So again, it is based on the domains, but it's um, like a you know like i like i said i have a, a more robust sense of how to work with people in the actual process of developing a, a relationship to money that's healthy so i do um uh, like i talk about compass fuel and engine because those are like the three the three pieces that i think are most salient around what the enneagrams telling us as a map that there's it's an important to be able to get oriented, uh, understand what your direction in life is, and then generate that energy and fuel to get from point A to point B, and then the engine that helps to sustain us at that good place of flow. Um, but that that's a that's another skill set altogether that that we need to develop. So some types are going to have that energy around engine and operating and performing. And that engine smoothly kind of naturally and others of us have almost no idea what we're talking about. Uh, whereas other types are really, really kind of awesome at fuel and building up that, that momentum. But then when it comes to sustaining it or actually really knowing where they're going, like they're kind of at a loss. So I put together a a nine step program to teach people about that.
1: Wow. Do you, is there a title or a release date yet?
2: Um, the, the hope is a release date of sort of the beginning of the summer and the nine steps to prosperity is the working title right now.
1: Excellent. Super exciting. Can't wait to check yeah. that out. Um, tell me a little bit more about how you work with uh, this information to help your clients. Um,
0: I,
2: I have discovered that it's most compelling for people to first do a deep dive into themselves, because it's interesting how people are most interested in their own situation, so uh, specifically their own style, their own money type, and usually that hooks people, right, so people are like, well, I don't know, what type am I, okay, so that, that gets the conversation going, and then I'll say, well, share a little bit with me on sort of, you know, things that you're good at around money, and things that you're kind of not so good at. And through having that conversation, we usually can start to get a sense of the, a handful of couple types they might want to really look into a little bit more. But uh, that tends to bring up a whole host of questions in their mind around like, oh, what does this mean? You know, what does this imply about, you know, maybe why am I having trouble around earning money? Or why am I having trouble? Well, why do I spend so much? You know, so it's just it, it becomes like a, a discovery led by curiosity, self-curiosity. So I think that's the the best way for people to get engaged. Uh, And then after that, when I kind of have people what I call hooked, then then they become a lot more open to kind of systematically looking at how they're relating to each of the nine domains. um, With, I think, a little bit more, like, objectivity and not so much resistance to, like, Oh, I hate budgeting don't even start talking to me. I'll be, I'll be like, "Oh, but maybe it's because, you know, you're type 8 uh, that you think that budgeting is beneath you." You know, let's let's just let's explore this a little bit more. Uh, type 8s will often say they're the uh, challengers of the Enneagram that, you know, that budgeting and numbers and accounting like that's all just beneath them. It's like they don't have time to worry about such trivial minute, minutia that they got bigger picture like big picture issues that they're dealing with and just kind of funny because of course if you don't deal with the small stuff often you will get derailed on your big challenges and efforts so I mm. would kind of go okay well that's that's good you know so it's a it's a, it's always a kind of unfolding conversation with people around you know gently gently shining the light not, not, not a glaring light but just gently shining the light to start mm. that conversation with like okay well You know, how might it be that when you have a relationship to to domain one and budgeting like this, that it could be derailing your efforts to like, you know, create this massive startup that's supposed to, you know, have 10, 10, 20, $40 million in funding. Like, well, if you haven't been keeping the books and doing any of the accounting, like how is anyone supposed to know how much you're, you know, like how much you're making, you know, just it's funny how. Our, our egos can make up all kinds of stories around like things we do like and don't like. Right and why they're <laughs> worth doing or not worth doing. So I just think it's, it's oh, kind of funny. Yeah.
1: We are such funny, fascinating creatures. Let, yeah. Let's talk about money in relationships. This, it's sure. so taboo to talk about money. It's the cause of so much stress, so many divorces, so much confusion in a family about how money is passed on through inheritance. Or There's just so much... Um, trouble people have, uh, you know, uh, relating to other people, um, whether it's professionally or um, personally about money. So could you tell me what, how, how this Enneagram understanding helps people with their relationships to other
2: people? It's pretty profound. Uh, I've worked with several couples um, in terms of their Enneagram style and their uh, respective relationships to money and it's really made all the difference. So, for example, one couple that I was working with, one the wife was a 6 and the husband was a type 9. And so she as a type 6 was, you know, super anxious about everything, you know, from A to Z. I mean, type 6s are often just anxious, they're thinking ahead and they're anticipating all the problems that could arise. And meanwhile, she's got a husband who's a type 9 who really doesn't want to be bothered. Like he's really Uh, you know like they're uh, I call them the settling types but it's like they're peacemakers and they really want to be left to be at peace and they want to be they can often kind of get into their own zone of sort of comfort and not want to deal with certain uncomfortable things and they don't really have a habit of proactively anticipating issues that could come up and even if the issue is right in front of their face they can get into a a very compelling uh, personal story around how it's not something they have to take t- take care of. And so they can become passive or even passive aggressive. And it, you can imagine how that could push the buttons of a, of an anxious type six. Um, but when this couple started to understand one another's styles and could start to also see the strengths that each brought, um, they were able to kind of come more towards the middle with one another. So that was kind of the beginning of, of some, good work that they did.
1: Hmm. Right. You're like building that understanding and empathy, compassion towards the other person so they can utilize their strengths and not get, you know, hijacked by those weaknesses.
2: Absolutely. I mean, the paradox being, of course, that the the type six wife absolutely relied on her type nine husband to be the rock. And um, in terms of just kind of being able to not go crazy when the market dipped or fell, you know, 20% or when the market went up, he was kind of still also kept his cool, like, he's just very solid. And, um, but again, that solidity can sometimes translate into uh, passive aggressiveness or stubbornness. So it's sort of like, you know, which side of the coin do you want to be looking at or emphasizing?
1: Hmm what about your uh group workshops uh what what have you seen as far as the power of people coming together in groups to to work on this to hear other people's stories to get vulnerable and share their own struggles with money
2: i think it's tremendous i think it's actually the best way to work with people around money because you can start to first just see that everyone's struggling with it i mean not a single person is sort of not struggling with this issue and um, it, it helps you to be able to look, I think, more honestly at your own situation when everyone else is doing the same. So it's just this really powerful container for doing some deep work. And I love it. I, I prefer that way of working with people. Um, it's just, and you know, sometimes just only women. Uh, sometimes I do mixed groups. Well, mostly it's mixed groups, but sometimes just when you do it just with women, it's just again another level of uh, uh, exposure or vulnerability that can that could come through. That's really powerful for everyone involved. So I I really do think that more of us should be working at that group level as opposed to I think maybe believing that it's a shameful or private issue and people wouldn't want to be doing the work within groups I think that's how I originally thought so I was like oh you know you have to do private coaching or one-to-one planning or maybe just with a couple but you you certainly would never open it up as a group kind of thing but I've been exploring that and uh, I think I think those beliefs can definitely change you know I've been changing my own beliefs around that
1: Mm. yeah i too doing workshops with uh women in particular uh has been my my calling uh is is yeah just that uh the breakthroughs that people are able to have the tears that they can finally feel seen and and not alone in in their struggles as you said um in in the u s china and Europe if there is anything you would like to say with that interplay of cultural influence and personality types, and what you've noticed, any differences that may be interesting? Mm-hmm.
2: I would say culturally, it really does have a important overlay uh, that we might tend to forget about, because when we're only working within our culture, we kind of don't have to address it then, right, because right? uh, we, we focus on personality or history or something like that, but When you do change, you move between cultures. Yeah, it's definitely significant. So in China, they're obsessed with money. um, I guess I know this in a way because I am Chinese, but um, just going to mainland China, I hadn't really been there so much. Um, because my parents are from Taiwan. It's kind of interesting and they're like eager, like anything that has the word money in the title of a workshop, they're like, oh, what's that? You know, so it's like, I guess, easier traction in a way to sell something like that. Um, And yet they have the exact same issues that people in the US or Europe have around, you know, as you start to get type specific, it's like, oh, wow, those are really exactly the same issues. So it's kind of interesting.
1: Hmm. Fascinating. So I, I'd like to, because your degree is in economics and mine too, just take some time to imagine what um, economic system could be emerging now—one that is more resilient, where it is more of a intimate economy, where there is more transparency and caring for one another, and just a cultural shift um, as as this outdated. Extractive economy That's based on debt with compounding Interest has has Caused um, so much Suffering and consolidation of wealth And so mm-hmm. as we Transition from that um, Just wanted to hear Your thoughts on uh, What is possible with the new Economy and why that's important
2: um, So In France they've been Macron has been grappling with the yellow vest movement, uh, where people in response to a proposed, I think, 6% hike in taxes on gasoline, basically um, got very angry and started protesting. And uh, the tax increase was to help fight climate change, interestingly enough, but that didn't really matter at the time. And there's a quote in the New York Times around um, Macron is worried about the world and coming to an end, and these people are worried about the paycheck at the end of the month coming to an end. And I just found that to be a very interesting juxtaposition because it's this question of, um, you know, what we're seeing is populist movements on both the left and right extremes uh, because of the feeling of powerlessness and frustration with, with the economic situation. But I guess I would say, um, what I see is that until we can grapple with what I call economic, like people individually and at the government level, having a better relationship to money, meaning like at the government level, that the, you know, the countries of Greece or Italy or Spain, they don't, they're not doing profligate spending. And when there's a budget surplus, just dissipating all of it. Right. And not getting to gigantic debts and then increasing taxes at later, like, At the macro level, we have to develop a better relationship to money. But at the individual level, we also do, because without sort of a good relationship to money and an ability to make ends meet, it's like, you know, we we can hope till the cows come home that people are going to care about the environment. But priorities are priorities. People are going to care more about their survival before they care about the environment. So I just think that what I hope is that I mean, I see it being a really pretty intractable situation of being stuck, what I call below the line, where all these things are integrally related. But I suppose that this vision that you paint of uh, a more compassionate society with less inequality, um, it it can happen. But I I do really believe that it's sort of going to require a systemic shift at both, you know, at all levels simultaneously, meaning the government's got to somehow wake up to itself and it's, the crappy behaviors it's been doing and the me too movement, right? Like just being sexist and our bad relationship to money individually, like all of it has to kind of shift at the same time. Otherwise we just stuck in this crappy situation where everyone just sort of doesn't count. Like, like we just, we're all feeling powerless and nobody really calls each other on their bullshit or they do, but they call each other on bad behavior, but then they don't really, I don't know. There's just a sense of, overwhelming powerlessness so it's, it's kind of hard to, sh- to break it break the cycle like yes. what happened at CBS right like this guy Leslie Moons like they've known for years that it, of his bad behavior and it's all related to economics it's all related to inequality it's like how did that thinking even come to be that this guy could last for this long without being called out right so, so it was like a lot of people are complicit and so I, I just sort of I sort of I kind of feel like we all have to recognize that we're all complicit, and at the same time, we're all powerful. So mm. it's sort of like we have to choose how we're all going to – it's like a, we need to do like a reset for the whole system.
1: Mm. Totally. That, <clears throat> that responsibility for our own inner transformation. Exactly. And- simultaneously acknowledging the dysfunctional systems, which have been extracting wealth from our people and the planet and, and how much hiding and um, power over because of financial status has really um, been so destructive in, in so many ways. And I feel like it is painful and there's grief when we wake up to, to the um, atrocities that are happening Um, uh, And what level that is. So it's it's definitely I I agree. Absolutely. These transformations have to have to happen within and without. And too often we see people internalizing the dysfunctional system. You know, it's like uh, it's it's hard to get out of poverty. You know, they have that American dream. And yet the reality of that is is can be very challenging for for people who are
2: systemically oppressed. Right. So it's this really hard edge, like like a knife's edge of work we're trying to do, which is to recognize and acknowledge all the cultural and social oppression that's happened, but at the same time, take the right amount of responsibility for the part that we could play in helping ourselves. It's like, it's really hard. It's, I don't know, it's just really, really hard. Because culturally and structurally, there's so much we can do to help people that we don't do. So then to go and expect someone to just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and figure it out themselves, like, it's just wrong to ask that. It's not even really fair. And yet at the same time, I mean, we all got to do what we can do for ourselves. And so... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like tough. This, it's really tough.
1: It is. And uh Re-Ann Eisler, uh author of The Real Wealth of, of Nations talks about moving from the dominator systems to partnership systems and uh and just that that way of you know, I see the economy as a place where we come to care for one another and at at its essence, and that we've come so far from that with the derivatives and making money off money in these abstract ways where it's like, wait, where's the sacred marketplace where we need each other and we honor each other's gifts and uniqueness and, and value one another in that very intimate way.
0: Right.
2: Absolutely. But, I mean, yeah. I I feel hopeful and and, uh, also aware of all the baggage that holds us from that as well. So it's sort of like, yes, we definitely need to be moving towards a society that is more understanding of how to really exercise compassion. But we're Mm -hmm. so far away from that right now that it's hard to imagine. But it is what has to happen. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So
1: I'm curious, what, what is your key message uh, for these times that you would like to share with listeners?
2: I, I do like to say that social transformation begins with personal transformation. I do like to say that because, um, and that's not to say that, you know, we're all powerful, but that that's where we can start because every little shift that we do personally does have ripple effects. And if the, if, if, the transformation is to just stand up for your own value a little bit more to promote yourself and have more self-esteem so, so that you can be more confident about your own ideas so that you can then say something that is right to in some way in your society, in your community, like all of that's going to make a big difference in changing, making the world better, making your own life better. So.
1: Hmm. That. Yes, and and it really puts um, greater significance and value to investing in your own personal work and and really looking deeply at how to shift your behaviors and beliefs and um, and really, you know, uh, how how can you do that inner work and then put engage with the economy, with your community and your family and your business in in that in a more vital, uh, nourishing way once you've done that inner work or as you're doing. Yeah,
2: it. absolutely. I mean, I think basically we all start from a place of sort of feeling victimized and like, oh, you know, it's not my fault, it's someone else's fault. And so that, that, that turning where you start to go, well, yeah, I know it's their fault, but what can I do right now that could be like one little step towards a solution? Right? like that's a huge shift in in perspective and mindset and and I think that is where where this change is gonna come from mm. um any other closing
1: thoughts or things you'd like to share today um,
2: I don't know I was just i mean we kind of are talking about really big big picture issues right now, but I really do think that there's like two or three like points of leverage that we have in our life and like our relationship to our children as parents and our relationship to money as an individual. And I suppose our relationship to ourselves. I mean, those are the three places where we really do have a lot of power to do something about. And by starting there, we become extremely powerful in the world. Right. So so I think that it's just a, it's a hopeful message that way. That those are all things we can do things about. So,
1: mm. thank you, thank you for sharing that and. I agree those points of contact that each one of us have in our relationships, in positions of influence where we can impact uh, creating a better society, a more thriving environment. Each one of us has a very unique um, personality and things that we find satisfying and different motivations and just Honoring and understanding your own uniqueness will help you in this life be able to create what Margaret's calling true prosperity and um, what I refer to as true wealth. This more holistic sense of well-being and joy, and the more that we can claim that for ourselves, and and bring that uh, to our relationships and to our work in the world, uh, will begin to weave a more prosperous uh, society for us all. To Begin to enjoy our money and each other more fully and completely. And so, thank you, Margaret, for being such a pioneer in this field of understanding the human psyche and finances and how the two meet in this very powerful intersection. And uh, just encourage everyone to check out. Um, www.prosperitysherpa.com and uh, Margaret Smith's book Money from Fear to Love so thank you so much for your time today it's been absolutely fascinating from the micro to the macro may we all transform
0: within and without thanks for listening if you like what you heard the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.